sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America. Today, I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. And with that today, it set off a firestorm of reaction from both the left and the right and the middle. But it's just this story that I'm going to talk about next on Keeping It With Alexander Garrett today is more eye-opening to me than I think uh, it's getting credit for. Although, uh, Guy Taylor, thanks for joining me. You are the national affairs and whatnot for the Washington Times reporter. Yes, I'm the national security team leader. Thanks, Alex. I'm glad to join you. Now, Washington Times front page, not the Post, Washington Times front page, had your article on it of of uh, Putin laughing at this whole thing. Is he really trying to exploit this impeachment process? Well, yeah, in, in several ways. In my reporting, Alex is just based on a source network that looks that has familiarity with how U.S. intelligence is watching the Russian reaction to all of this, as well as the reaction to other uh, world powers and, and various adversaries around the world. I, you know, I think the really partisan uh, divide of the impeachment process in general from both sides, not just the Democrats politicizing Trump's quid pro quo activities or posture toward Ukraine, but also very much the Republicans in their promotion of some some dubious narratives with regard to alleged Ukrainian meddling in the 2016 U.S. elections. These things have caused a growing concern among U.S. intelligence officials. And, you know, remember that uh, Russia has long sought to sow political division in America, but also to pull Ukraine back into its orbit in the post-Soviet era. Oil and gas-rich Ukraine used to be a Soviet republic, and for years the U.S. and Western Europe have been trying to win over Ukraine as a key democracy and energy power now controlled or not controlled by Moscow. The concern here is that, that Russian President Vladimir Putin is is pretty happy that what used to be a very clear bipartisan consensus in Washington that Ukraine was a nation despite its own internal corruption problems that America was trying to work with and help. And what we've got now through the impeachment process is Ukraine is bad Democrats and Republicans are fighting over it, and Putin is exploiting that, and we as Americans should have more awareness of it in general. That was really the thrust of my my story. And uh, why should—I mean, that should be concerning to Americans, but for maybe those who don't get it, why should that be concerning to us, that we are losing that aspect of this whole disaster? Well, I think it could, it should be concerning, one, on the, the whole false narratives front of, of lawmakers getting into an arena of highly charged partisan hearings where they're willing to make things up about foreign policy that aren't fact-based and aren't backed by our, uh, America's own intelligence agencies that are just politicizations of foreign policy issues. That's not really 
a good place, and we don't have a great history of doing that in this country. Foreign policy tends to be an arena where both parties put their partisan divisions aside and try to, to keep it neutral and do oversight of whatever uh, whatever party happens to hold the executive at a particular time. But there's also this this uh, idea that this bipartisan consensus has broken down over Ukraine, this is being watched closely by foreign powers, be it China or Iran or North Korea, that are adversaries who see it as a signal that U.S. partisan politics is increasingly sullying the clarity of U.S. foreign policy in general. You know, regardless of where your listeners are on the ideological spectrum for tonight's show, and I'm not going to try and pick a side on this, but let me tell you that that is bad for whoever's president. And right now it's bad for Donald Trump. This idea that there's no political agreement in Washington over the direction of U.S. foreign policy, that really undercuts Trump on the world stage as he pursues things like NATO cohesiveness. Right. Trade, nego- trade negotiations with China, a new Iran nuclear deal, nuclear negotiations with North Korea, let alone the always ongoing bare-knuckle diplomacy with Moscow and things like uh, weapons deals with foreign allies and uh, uh, sanctions against Russian officials, et cetera, et cetera. If all of these foreign leaders know that they can just get around Trump by pandering to Democrats who are after Trump in Washington and sowing division in the overall U.S. posture toward the world, it essentially paralyzes Trump as as, as a foreign policy leader and the other power that that other powers would would listen to or work with. Now, I also feel like uh, you know. Russia was paralyzing us even during the Obama administration, but it wasn't as highlighted. I mean, they did annex Crimea during that time. And would you say that they didn't that nothing was done as a lie or is that a truth that has been said that nothing was done back in those days as well? No, I, I, I think there's there's pretty broad consensus both among Republicans and Democrats that Russian uh Russian intelligence agencies ran a fairly aggressive interference and meddling campaign around the 2016 election. As far as Donald Trump being elected, I think the Trump administration's uh, posture towards Russia has been give and take and, and, sure. and different in various parts of the world. Uh, the Trump administration, with regard to Ukraine, has leveled sanctions against Russian officials and has has. Uh, despite this quid pro quo issue at the heart of the the Democrat-led impeachment hearings, the administration has tried to deliver more lethal aid to right. uh, the Ukrainian military, including Stinger missiles, et cetera, et cetera. So to just claim, well, Trump has rolled over uh, and oh. taken Putin's way, I, I think that's outrageous. It's I agree. True. And he's also expelled a lot of Russian diplomats. He's a... He sanctioned them. He's done a lot. Uh, look, I think just... you could also turn and say that he's rolled over and basically given a, a huge part of the Middle East to the Russians who have a military base in Tartu, Syria. And with the U.S. withdrawal from Syria, the Russians become the world power that has the most influence over the future sure. political negotiations there. I mean, look, there's another issue here that has to do with uh, with Republicans sort of promoting this idea that that Ukraine, not just Russian agencies, but Ukrainian operatives somehow meddled 
uh, in the 2016 election. In some case, uh, the Republicans claim they have they have some standing for this. That this this woman by I get into this a little bit in my reporting, but this woman by the name of Chalupa, who worked with oh, yeah. the Democratic National Committee, somehow colluded with officials at the Ukrainian embassy in Washington to smear Donald Trump in the run up to the 2016 vote. The problem is that there's there's real pushback from. Uh, some Republicans, some people who worked very closely with President Trump, but especially from within the U.S. intelligence community to this whole narrative. And they say it's it's actually a bogus part of a false narrative that Russian intelligence has actually been promoting to try and take the heat off of Moscow, which very much did run an interference campaign in 2016. I think it's important to note that uh, two high-level Trump administration officials uh, Fiona Hill, no longer in the administration, but also David Hale, uh, the current Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs under Mike Pompeo, the current, the former CIA chief. They've publicly said, no, Ukraine did not meddle in the 2016 election. These claims are inaccurate, and it's irresponsible to throw them around, specifically targeting Devin Nunes, the Intelligence Committee uh, ranking member on the Republican side, for sort of fomenting this false narrative. Look, I, I want to play it on both sides, though, and there are lots of, of Republicans and some very savvy uh, people in the U.S. intelligence community who don't want to comment publicly on U.S. domestic politics, but will tell you that the entire handling of the impeachment proceedings has been hyper-politicized by the Democrats. At Absolutely. The Absolutely. But and what drew more alarm to my uh, to, to seeing your article, Guy Taylor with Washington Times joining me tonight, is that there he's laughing. Putin's laughing, but also he's doing harm to our allies at the same time. And the Democrats don't care because they just want to get Trump out of there while he's trying to eliminate that harm and, and really save our allies uh, from my vantage point. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the Democratic Party leadership in the legislature and in, in the House, you know, the Democrats hold, you know, the lower house of parliament, essentially. And, you know, I think that there's uh, an election year strategy underway now and, and the impeachment proceedings very much fall into that. I think the Democrats have to be careful that this impeachment process doesn't backfire on them and get dragged out into what will effectively amount to an annulment in the Senate. We don't know yet what the Senate side of this will look like if uh, uh, the Nancy Pelosi's uh, impeachment or impeachment articles come together and Trump is impeached. There will then be a hearing on the Senate side, which is controlled by Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party, where the Republicans have effectively lined up behind Trump. Those Senate hearings uh, could end up playing out very much in Trump's favor if uh, the Republicans decide to, say, get uh, Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, to testify in them, or if they try to call uh, um, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden to come and testify in public hearings about why his son Hunter was on the board of uh, the most major Ukrainian gas uh, company. So there's a lot coming there. I think we have to also think about, like, how are these impeachment articles going to come together now, given the latest 
developments that they're coming forward. How many articles are they going to be? Are they going to be completely focused on this Ukraine issue? Or is there going to be an attempt to widen them out and accuse uh, President Trump of bribery or corruption in other arenas that didn't even come up in the in the Schiff-led uh, hearings of the past month and a half? I think there are probably some Democrats who want to see there be more uh, impeachment articles than less so that they might be able to vote against some of the articles to provide political cover for themselves should this thing blow into a Trump victory when it gets to the Senate side and they need to explain to their constituencies far away from Washington that they weren't part of a bad Democratic strategy that backfired. Well, that's true. The constituencies are going to play a big role. And a lot of these Congress people especially have been voted in Trump districts. And do you think that happens in, in pro-Trump districts? I think that that's a real risk for the Democrats in terms of, uh, you know, how does this impeachment process play out in the polls in an election year? I, I feel like the timing of of it is coming together awkwardly because there is still a year of or almost a year of campaigning going on. Donald Trump is not running a primary campaign, so he can kind of sit back and strategize how to play all of this while the Democrats out on the campaign trail have to sort of fight, not fight amongst each other, but find ways to stand out amongst amongst each other. Not only that, but how how is the impeachment really going to play once it goes to the Senate? Uh, you know, I think that it's a, it's being watched, and, and the fact that it's focused on a foreign policy issue is very interesting. Remember the last two impeachment uh, uh, proceedings uh, with uh, Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon really didn't weren't focused on a foreign policy element. They were domestic uh, issues and, and political and ethical issues. This is something that's that's interwoven with U.S. foreign policy, and it's a little bit unprecedented. And the fact that there's concern that foreign adversaries are trying to exploit it makes for a kind of messy situation. So I think it's hard to predict how it's really going to play uh, going into an election year. Well, Guy, thank you so much for joining us today on this Sunday pod. And obviously it is going to be very wild to watch. I don't think we're... Nothing. This feels like a never-ending presence. So we have to uh, keep on it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me on yeah, the Sunday I, Pod. I, I'd love to come back and check in. Thanks for having me, Alex. You got it. Take care.